Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Stick and Twig. Uh, i got a couple different things I want to talk about today, and uh, I'm going to obviously have a, a brief update about some archery stuff, and uh, then I'm also going to talk about uh, some injury-related things. Uh, I'm obviously not going to be giving any sort of medical advice. I'm not a doctor, and I'm not qualified to do that, so I'm not planning on it. Um... I'm also going to talk about some of the value that I think can be had in finding a group or a network or even just some friends that share some common interests with you, whether it's a sense of accountability or encouragement or whatever it is that having some people to just talk to these things about. I think um, having that sort of network around you can be really beneficial and, and ultimately that's one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast is because there was no one in my area that shot trad bows or stick bows or, or anything, a couple archery groups here and there, but nobody doing it the way that I was interested in. And uh, so, yeah, I wanted to try and build that network out. And here we are. So let's get to it. So before we get into an archery update, I think it makes sense to start with the injury talk because really that's going to heavily dictate how much archery stuff I have to talk about. Uh, I personally have been dealing with an injury as of late. Um, not a severe one, nothing nothing terribly serious. And to be fair, I feel a little bit stupid <laughs> because I, uh, I definitely did it to myself. Um, so what happened <laughs> was, uh, I, I used to have, uh, I've mentioned a bow that I had that was a, a really lightweight target bow. And when I was shooting that bow a lot, I would actually shoot it both right-handed and left-handed, um, to try and prevent myself from turning into a fiddler crab. Um, <laughs> Right. So, uh, I broke that one as I've mentioned before. Uh, so ever since that happened, I was shooting not only a much heavier bow, but also shooting exclusively right-handed because trying to shoot a heavier bow left-handed was just not, not something I felt comfortable with. So I was doing a ton of shooting all right-handed pulling a, a heavy draw. I mean, over 50 pounds, and um, started to get a little worried that I was going to imbalance my muscles and my back and shoulders and things like that. So I picked up a resistance band and I started going through that draw motion left-handed one night. And I think I was like reading some articles or maybe watching some videos on YouTube or who knows. I forget what exactly I was doing that night. But anyway... I did way too much mindlessly sitting there going through that draw motion with a resistance band on the left hand of my side, and I completely blew up uh, the muscles in my back, particularly on the left side, um, so much so that, you know, there for a couple days at, at the peak of how much it was hurting, <laughs> I couldn't really stand up straight, and it hurt to move my head, I lost a ton of range of motion, it was... It's a little embarrassing to admit that I just did this all to myself that way, because um, that's definitely what it was from. <laughs> it 
was just working out. I didn't want to be a fiddler crab, so I uh, I decided I'd give myself a somewhat paralyzing injury in the meantime. <laughs> Obviously, that's that's a little hyperbolic, but um. Anyway, while I was dealing with the uh, the spasms and the knots and the trigger points that resulted from that injury and that muscle strain that I had in my back. I couldn't shoot my bow. Um, well, I probably could have because the right-handed draw motion really didn't bother me very much, or at least if I went through that motion without any weight on it, it didn't bother me very much. Um, but I knew that really if I wanted to be able to get back to shooting sooner and I wanted to get back to shooting well sooner and be able to shoot longer and, and better and more efficiently, the best thing for me to do is just to take some rest and let myself get back to, uh, to full health before I started pushing again. And so I figured it was probably a good thing for me to take some time and talk about that. Um, I've had some experiences with injuries in my past where I learned some really valuable lessons about giving yourself the time to recover. Um, I haven't, I've been pretty blessed. Uh, I haven't experienced a whole lot of injuries throughout my life. Um, but I guess I have had some fairly ill-timed injuries, <laughs> Um, so in addition to all the outdoor activities, and I mean, these are kind of outdoor activities in, in and of themselves as well. Um, in addition to some of the other stuff that I like to do, I've really developed an affinity for snowboarding and ice hockey. Um, I've played hockey most all of my life and I started snowboarding the day that I learned how to drive and got a driver's license and I could drive myself to the mountains. I had skateboarded a lot as a kid and I also took a ton of what should have been more serious injuries doing that, but I was pretty young still. So I was still in the bend, not break phase of life. So I got away with a lot of things then. Um, once I started um, playing hockey and, and snowboarding more in my kind of adult life, uh, the injury started lingering a little bit more. And I started to learn that I just needed to give myself time to recover. Um, specifically, one injury that I'm going to talk about that really taught me valuable lessons that helped me kind of step back and just give myself that, that recovery time now today uh, was tearing my ACL. And what happened when I did that was I actually now, uh, and I'm going to speak about this a little bit weirdly because obviously I have hindsight now and hindsight is 2020. So I can be super judgmental of how poorly I handled this whole situation looking back at it. <laughs> um, but what happened was, is doing a trick. I was writing competitively. So I was really aggressive in my style, had a couple sponsors. I was always pushing myself and really trying to, uh, learn those new tricks and step my game up and be better and better and better and push myself. And one day I was out riding and I took a bad fall and, and planted my knee into the snow and twisted it all up. And my knee just ballooned up and got huge. I mean, it was twice as big as it should have been by the time I got home. And uh, I came, came to learn later that I had 
uh, a majority tear. I mean, well over 50%, anywhere from like 60 to 80% of a tear in my ACL um, from that fall. And uh, being a stubborn, arrogant, pain-tolerant teenager, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I went to the doctor, you know, I appeased my parents, I said, I'll go get it checked out, you know, worry. Um, but I went to the doctor, and the doctor said, okay, well, you know, it's really swollen, it's hard for me to feel, but feel what's going on down in there in terms of stability, but how does it feel to you? And I took a deep breath, and I swallowed hard, and I said, feels fine feels like it's swollen but it's fine it wasn't fine it hurt you know I was it it took a lot of work to not limp but uh, I made sure I wasn't limping on the way in to the doctor and I made sure I wasn't limping on the way out of the doctor uh, because I didn't want to miss my snowboarding season I wanted to keep riding I wanted to keep doing the things it was that I liked to do um, and that was a very short-sighted decision um, so I kept riding for the rest of that season stuffing uh, ibuprofen and naproxen down my throat to get through the days but everything was fine as far as I was concerned because I was young and dumb and I was snowboarding so everything was fine and uh, I made it through the rest of that season and uh, I actually made it through an entire another snowboarding season as well as the rest of the year that went around that so there's some light skateboarding involved some ice hockey some roller hockey and uh, some other sports as well and then the next year over the uh in the spring or i guess it was probably at the spring i was playing volleyball and um backyard volleyball with some friends and i went to plant and jump and i heard it <laughs> the uh the guy standing next to me at the time uh he heard it too <laughs> Um, my ACL went and, uh, and I just crumbled and I fell into a pile on the ground. And, and unfortunately what, what was really detrimental about that is because I had spent almost two years hobbling around on a majority tear of my ACL. I had been built up all of these really gnarly compensatory muscles. So I went in for the MRI and they, and they looked at everything and they said, well, yeah, your ACL is, is torn and we're going to have to do surgery to repair it. But before we can even get in there and fix this the proper way, you're going to have to go through some extensive physical therapy to break down these compensatory muscles so that we can get in there and do what we need to do. So I ended up having about six to eight months of physical therapy before I could even have surgery because I had prolonged that injury and put it off and said everything is fine and just powered through it. And um, so that obviously <laughs> made the whole situation a lot worse. And had I gone to the doctor originally when I had that partial tear um, that first season, almost two years before that the surgery actually happened, um, I would have missed the rest of that snowboarding season. Um, I would have walked out of the hospital with an orthoscopic surgery. I would have had a near 100% recovery and everything really would have been pretty much no harm, no foul at that point. Um, but because I, I went about it the way that I did and I had to go through all the extensive physical therapy that I did and I had to have a complete 
you know, ACL reconstruction instead of in ACL repair. Um, I'm only at about 85% original strength in my knee now, which is fine. 85% is totally fine. I actually recently have been noticing how great my knee feels <laughs> other than, you know, when they're, when I, I can tell when the weather is going to change, but other than that, uh, hiking and everything, my knee is holding up really well. So I have zero complaints about my recovery at this point but I definitely could have handled that situation better for the long-term outlook. And while, yeah, it's a, it's a crappy situation to have to go through, I think I was young enough to be able to learn some really valuable lessons there. And so it's given me the ability now to, when I do strain a muscle in my back, I know that it's probably better if I just go ahead and take a week and a half or two weeks to stop shooting my bow, because that's going to help me uh, shoot longer into the future. Um, it's going to help maintain my form more efficiently. Um, and it's just ultimately, it's a better decision. It's a healthier decision. And it can be a hard decision because in the middle of that, now getting into kind of some of the archery updates, um, I mentioned I had ordered a factory bow, a bear Montana longbow. Um, it showed up about four days after the spasm started. <laughs> so that was really frustrating because I had this brand new toy sitting here staring me in the face and all I wanted to do was shoot it. Um, but I feel like some of the maturity I gained the hard way, I'm really good at learning the hard way. Um, I realized that, you know, it's going to be better for me if I just let myself fully recover and go ahead and take the time that my body needs now, um, so that I won't have to take breaks again in the future and that I can shoot and not compromise my form and, and just, it's, it's the wiser decision. Um, also I'm probably not going to, uh, sit there in my chair and mindlessly draw 200 times left-handed with a resistance band. Um, somewhat of a recurring theme on this show already three episodes in seems to be mistakes. I'm only going to make once. So there you have it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I uh, I did want to kind of talk about that because I think it's really valuable. Um, not everybody has the experience with severe injuries, um, and hopefully not everybody has experience with severe injuries. And I think um, it can be really valuable in a way to hear about other people talk about theirs and maybe give some words of wisdom, hopefully, about giving your body the time it needs to recover from things. Um, it's just going to really help you out in the long run. And I wish that I had handled my ACL a little bit better. Like I said, I have no complaints about the way I feel now. Um, but that's not to say that I couldn't have handled it better and couldn't have been in a potentially better situation uh, down the road as well. So I think I was in a way fortunate to kind of break that stubbornness uh, and to learn that lesson early on. Uh, that sometimes the best thing you can do is just rest. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of sums up the injury portion of, uh, of what I wanted to talk about today. And, and, uh, we can, we can move on to the archery update.
which is my factory bow showed up. My bear Montana longbow is here and it is an absolute thumper. I love that bow. I shot it just a handful of times so far because like I said, I was recovering from a little bit of an injury there and I didn't want to push things. So I probably only put a, a few dozen arrows down range with it so far, but I'm really impressed with, uh, with the bow overall. Um, it needs some string silencers, definitely. I've never, I haven't shot a bow that didn't have silencers on it in a long time, other than that lightweight target bow that I had, but there, that just had so little muscle behind it that it didn't make a lot of noise. Whereas this one, um, it's a 45 pound at 28 inches. Uh, so kind of by the law of averages, if you do the math, I'm pulling right around 47 at 29 where I am drawing. And, um, yeah, it, it just buries arrows into the target. Um, and it shoots really tight little groups right now. I'm quite impressed, uh, with the bow itself. Uh, it's quite a bit thinner in the limbs than I thought it would be. Um, and I, I mean, not the cross section, but like if you were to look at it, I was expecting more of kind of like a flat bow design. Um, and it's not like that at all, which I was really pleased about. Um, that's really kind of what I gravitate to. And that's something I'm trying to figure out how to incorporate into my self bow designs is these thin limbs, not very wide, like maybe an inch and a quarter or so across at the most. Um, just that helps cut down on noise as well and generally makes a little bit of a faster bow too. So I was really excited when I pulled it out of the box and I saw how thin those limbs were. I guess I just didn't pay enough attention to the specs, um, but that was a really pleasant surprise. And, um, and yeah, I'm really stoked about it. No other way to put it. Um, I'm excited to keep shooting it. I'm excited to get some string silencers on it. And um, yeah, so pretty cool bow and yeah i think that kind of sums up the archery update portion of the show so the uh the next thing that i wanted to talk about was the value of a network and this is a little bit more of again i guess kind of like the first thing we touched on is kind of philosophical in a way um ultimately one of the big reasons that I wanted to do this show is because when I wanted to get into traditional archery and I wanted to start shooting a stick bow, I was shooting a stick bow, first of all, but it was hard for me to like commit to making the switch from my compound to a stick bow or a trad bow wholeheartedly just because there was nobody around me doing it. And it was hard to give myself any sort of sense of accountability or commit fully. And that is a big reason why I wanted to do this show, because I can make that commitment and I can do it to myself. But if I have this other sort of thing running in the background, it just seemed like it would be helpful for me. And, uh, so I've, I've looked into some archery groups around the area, but there's really like even the archery shops, um, in, in my region, <laughs> most of them don't even sell, uh, trad bows. Uh, a couple of them do. Um, I was really shocked when I went into one of them 
and I was actually having some work done on my compound at the time, but it was still something in the back of my head that I wanted to get into traditional archery and I wanted to make that switch. And I was talking to them and I said, Hey, do you guys do anything with traditional archery or sell any of that type of equipment? And I don't see any bows hanging up. And they said, mm, no, no, we don't mess with that. You guys are the bow shop in the area, and you guys don't do anything with trad bows. Oh, oh. I'm certainly not going to put their name out there because I do actually like that shop quite a bit, and they've been really good to me and helping me out with the compound side of things. So I think it's a great shop. I don't have anything bad to say about them, but it was just really a shock that uh, that, that there was that little demand. Um, and that was pretty discouraging in terms of making the switch to traditional archery. Um and a while back, I was making a different switch from sort of traditional tackle fishing um, to fly fishing. It was something I was just really interested in. And I, I'm not going to say that the ethos attracted me because very commonly the ethos of fly fishing is associated with catch and release. I'm definitely on the food side of fishing. I'm a hunter, obviously, so I like to eat the things that I chase in, in the wild places. So um, just something about the whole process of fly fishing really was attractive to me um, because the whole process of, of hunting and fishing and everything is, is enjoyable. So I wanted to find a way to be more actively engaged with the days that I didn't catch any fish, which is a lot of days, um, <laughs> right? I mean, we, it's called hunting. It's not called killing. It's called fishing. It's not called catching, right? Um, so I wanted uh, something to be like actively engaged with and working on throughout the entire process of the, the whole experience. So I wanted to make the switch into fly fishing and maybe, maybe I'm just a masochist. I don't know. Maybe I enjoy the suffering a little bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was, I was really interested in fly fishing. I wanted to make the switch. Um, but I didn't really know where to get started. It was also overwhelming and I wanted to keep fish. And most of the things you find about fly fishing aren't really it's catch and release, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then, uh, actually my wife, met in a, a guy through her work at the time who was a fly fisherman and he was talking to my wife and found out that not only did I like to fish and I like to fish the river that we have here locally he um that I was also interested in fly fishing and he said hey we have this cool event um put on through the local chapter of Trout Unlimited uh, it's called Barfly and basically you come out to a local brewery and anybody who wants to learn how to tie flies will set up a vice for you, give you some materials and let you play around and you can drink beer and talk about fishing, talk about fly fishing, talk about tying flies and just kind of develop a network and a, and a group of people that have shared interests. And I didn't even have a fly rod yet, and my wife and I went to one of these bar fly events. We both tied up a couple woolly buggers, and I came home and I said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and buy a fly rod, because I think I, I think this is definitely going to be for me, because not only is it going to give me a way to interact more with fishing when I'm out 
on the water and I'm doing the whole fly casting process and torturing myself by getting things stuck in tree branches, <laughs> it's also going to give me this fun new hobby of doing things at home, uh, much kind of like traditional archery and making my own bows does. Of I can sit in front of a fireplace in the wintertime and tie up all the flies I need for the summer. So uh, I took that leap. I made the transition to fly fishing. I haven't touched traditional tackle in a long time, and I'm still uh, attending these bar fly events. Uh, I'm not an official member of the local Trout Unlimited chapter or anything. I do think that I'll probably get there at some point in time. Just haven't yet. For whatever reason, life is what it is. So, <laughs> right? Um, but yeah. I just think that uh, I recently went to another one of those barfly events and I was just really appreciated how much that network and that group of people uh, helped get me over the hump and get me into it. And it made me think about how if I had been able to find something like that for traditional archery, I might have made this leap many years ago um, and finally put the compound down instead of continuing to use it as long as I did. Not that there's anything wrong with compound hunting. I love compound bows. They are super cool. They are absolute machines and they are finely engineered. Um, I have so much respect for the people who make them and I have so much respect for the people who shoot them well. And I used to be one of those people who shot them at least well enough to hunt ethically with. So uh, nothing against them. It's just, uh, I think it, it just is a, it's, it's a unique thing to step back and think about how much, um, having a, a group of people or a network around you, or even just friends to shoot the breeze with, um, can help get you through or get you over a hump or get you through a, a rut or whatever else it is. Um, you know, it makes me think too, I recently went on a wood duck hunt with a couple buddies and they're good guys, they're hard hunters. Uh, one of them recently just got his first elk and I'm hoping, and in, in addition to that, he has some awesome other stories uh, throughout the years of all of his adventures and I really hope to have him on here soon. Uh, but he hunts hard, he works hard, he's just, a, he's a great dude, but he had never been exposed to sort of like the backcountry camping or backcountry hunting or backpack hunting or whatever you want to call it. He'd never been exposed to that. And the way that we had actually gone out after these uh, wood ducks involved um, backpacking in uh, to make sure that we were going to be in on top of this beaver pond nice and early in the morning. And, and um, he went out and bought a backpack he and his wife both went out and bought backpacks uh, for that style of backpacking and backcountry camping and stuff, uh, you know, within a, within a month or so of our trip out there. And so it's just, uh, the power of having friends with shared interests and, uh, and not just, uh, exclusively shared interests, but interests that can help broaden your horizons. I think it's, it's an extremely valuable thing and I don't want to downplay that at all. So, uh, even if you're an antisocial person, um, like myself, I'm a very antisocial person, but I still acknowledge the value of having uh, networks and groups and, uh, and people 
um, around to help get you over the hump or over, out of a rut or through a dark time or whatever it is. So that's something I felt like was worth mentioning. And uh, so there that is. I think uh, that about covers everything I was hoping to talk about today. Um, as always, I appreciate you guys tuning in. And uh, until next time, take it easy.